Hello, everyone. On this podcast, Dean Eastman and I sit down along with a variety of business professionals to talk about all things business. Whether this is your lunch, study break, walk to class, or on your drive into work, we are so happy you're listening today. Welcome to what we consider the Buzz on Business. So luckily this week at Spears, we are celebrating CEO day and we are fortunate to have one of our three guests on the podcast, CFO of the Dallas Cowboys and Oklahoma State Spears alum, Tom Walker. Hello. Thanks for having me. We're delighted you're here. And Alexis, welcome back. I missed you last time. Thank so you. So I had to happy do it by to be myself. Back. I got no extra money. <laughs> I just want that to be known. All right. <laughs> but, but. I believe I just heard that's an extra three fifty an hour. That you I have. think so. I should uh, <laughs> I'll be looking for that in my paycheck. Uh, so, well, Tom, a few basics to get off uh, started. Uh, where are you from originally? Grew up in Lawton. I graduated Lawton High in 1992. Um, decided to come to Stillwater. Spent the five of the best years of my life here. Uh, and I'm glad to be back. Well, we're delighted you made it here all the way from Lawton. <laughs> you know, it was a it was a it was a journey to get here. It, you still uh, have family there? I do. I've still got uh, my grandmother's passed. My grandparents have passed now. I've still got an uncle, an aunt, and their kind of extended family that are in Lawton. I don't make it at home as much anymore as I would like to, uh, but we're there once a year, once every you know maybe twice a year. Yeah, it's gonna be in Iowa. I get back about once, maybe twice. Yep. It's not really on my path anywhere. That's the only problem. If you're from that part of, the, of Oklahoma, there's not a lot of reason to be down there unless you're going there. My only time to be in Lawton was uh, my son played soccer there once. Got out in the field, huge thunderstorm. So we drove all the way back. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that was my only Lawton And did experience. you make it all the way to Lawton or were you out of Fort Sill playing on the fields? We are out. Yeah, yeah we at the base out, yeah. playing on the fields. Yeah, exactly. So I never actually made it into I Lawton. I spent a lot so of time I, on those fields. I bet. So since when you're on, since you were in Lawton, what how'd you hear about Oklahoma State? What made you want to come up well, here? You know, I'll be very honest and say I didn't envision that I was coming to Oklahoma State. Um, I thought I was going back east. I had been accepted at MIT and Wooster Polytech. Uh, I intended to be an engineer. Um, Oklahoma State called probably mid-April. It was late in the process and said, "Hey, we've got a great engineering program. You should come up this way. Uh, we've got a very compelling financial." opportunity for you. And in my family, compelling financial opportunity meant yes. Um, and, and gave me, they really did. They, they gave me a great opportunity from a scholarship perspective. I came up and thought I'd be here for a year. I wanted to be a nuclear engineer. And so Oklahoma State couldn't, couldn't do that. Wow. How did you pick from Lawton a nuclear engineer? I'm not, I'd like to tell you that I remember, but I'm so old. I have forgotten, <laughs> I forgotten why I thought I was going that way. Um, but I did. I came up and I thought I'll be here for a year. We'd run the math at home. We'll save more than enough money to have for it to have paid for itself. You're taking intro to engineering and all of the basics. Um, I was here six months, and by the time we hit January, I was in the business school. <laughs> so, so what prompted you to leave nuclear engineering to, for the business well, school? I know you've heard this story, Ken, but um, so the answer to that is I was playing flag football on the Colvin Fields um, and realized that I was going to miss one of the two assignments in that one hour a week intro to engineering class that I might not have been at in two or three weeks. <laughs> we had a rotation of us that would pick up who was going to go today. It was literally one hour a week on a Wednesday at noon. All right, well, this week I'll go, and next week Johnny will go, and the week after that Susie will go, whatever it happens to be. Um, and, but there were two assignments, library tour and a, pa and a paper and a final. And I was playing football when that library tour and paper happened, and somewhere about midway through I realized – I'm now going to fail because as a math, a smart math guy, if you get a zero on one <laughs> and a hundred on another, that's still a 50 and 50, 50 is an F and that means no scholarships and I should do something else. So I literally the next morning walked into engineering school and said, I want to switch majors. What do you want to switch to? 
I don't know. <laughs> what are you good at? I'm good at math. Okay, well, you could be a mathematician. And my head at the time thought, that means I'm going to live in a basement and never talk to humans again. Still think that, actually. That's a separate issue. <laughs> um, or you could, go into, you could go into business and go into finance. And lo and behold, I walked over and here you go. Wow. Thank heavens for flag football. That's all I got to say. You might not be here with us it today. Has worked, it has worked out to be a spectacular failure on my part. <laughs> <laughs> and then after you got your master's, correct? I did. Um, I, was, I was blessed enough. I was going to graduate with my undergraduate degree and still not be 21. And I wouldn't acknowledge that I had been drinking in Stillwater before I was 21 because that would be wrong. Um, but I did think I, maybe I should stay long enough to officially be able to drink in Stillwater and, and decided to stay. At that point, we didn't have a master's in finance, um, and so I switched into accounting, and I'm a, now I have a master's degree in accounting. And that was about a year? Uh, that was, let's see, that was in 1997 when I finished here. So was it hard? I always wondered about this. So shifting from uh, undergrad in finance to the master's in accounting. You know, it, I don't remember noticing that it was uniquely difficult. The, the hardest part, quite honestly, was, okay, now you have to choose at that point, are you going to become an auditor um, or a tax person? Uh, and for me, that decision was actually made relatively simple. I didn't have any interest in spending a week at a time in every small town in Oklahoma that had one restaurant and one bank that we were auditing and one hotel. I don't blame you. Um, and so lo and behold, I decided I'll work, become a tax guy. And literally, I ended up a tax guy by, by process, of a, process of elimination. Wow. Yeah, because tax is a tough thing. Uh, yeah, but it's tax. If you think about an engineer, think about the engineers that you know and how rules-driven and how process-driven. Tax is similar. The only difference, of course, is as a tax guy, my job is to beat the rules, whereas an engineer, my job is to comply with the rules. But other than that, it's the same job. <laughs> throughout those five years, did you have a mentor throughout that whole process to no. help get you along? I didn't have a I didn't have a student mentor per se, and, and I was the second college graduate in my family, so I didn't necessarily even know that you should look for one. Mm -hmm. We did have a spectacular group of professors at the time, uh, names that you'll know from the doors. I mean, Ken knows. I think doc, I think Dr. Eastman actually taught my wife uh, back in the day. Uh, but you know, so I, I, I was a, a student um, worker for Dr. Chastain, and Lanny was great to work with. His hair was just, it, for those of you that know him, his hair was as jet black as oh, it I could know. be. It probably mean, still is for all <laughs> I know. <laughs> probably right. Um, Dr. You know, Pat Dorr was here and Pat, Pat was everything you would expect not to have in a professor of accounting, smart as could be, but just loved music, different guy. Um, Bud Lacey was still teaching. And then for me, you know, the one that probably didn't fit what I was studying it had the biggest impact on my career uh, was Dr. Mott. Oh, yes. Um, and, and he he just, it was, it was a different type of advice. It wasn't financial advice. It was just business advice, life advice um, was really, really good to me. It was, it, was the, it was the relationship with professors that made Oklahoma State special. It still felt like it was a small campus. Um, as I drive around today, I realize it's still a small campus, but not so much. It's, it's, it's amazing how this university has grown and, and for me personally, how, how much it's done for me. Shows how long I've been here. I know all those people. <laughs> <laughs> so when you graduated, uh, walk us through your kind of career path. So I interned my summer after my summer after my third year. I think that's right. Second year, I interned at MAPCO, uh, Mid-American Pipeline Company. 
um, no longer individually with us. Uh, it was a great opportunity, and there were three of us that interned um, that there that summer. It's a great job. They were really nice people. Didn't fit who I wanted to be. I thought I needed I needed to be more challenged. I needed more to do. Um, looking back at it, that would have been a spectacular job to keep. But nonetheless, um, so I said thank you. They offered me a job. Appreciate it. Um, not what I want to. Not what I want to do. I came back and took an internship at KPMG in the spring. Um, and back in those days, you know, you'd have a beta alpha psi meeting. All the firms would come in. And they would try to entertain you and take you to dinner. And I made my, ch my choice based off who had the cutest girls and who had the best food. <laughs> where are they taking us to eat? That's where I want to go. Um, Sound reasoning. It, I just want to say it worked though. out great. It really did. And so I took the internship in spring of 96 uh, with KPMG. Um, and they were great to me. It was a great opportunity. Uh, I still actually have one. Well, I, think, I think Krista Moxagimba is still here. Uh, Krista's dad, Mike, was my mentor on the job. Um, Mike, you know, he was... I didn't know what I was doing. I actually remember one of the best stories. They sent me to deliver a tax return to a client. Said, "Hey, go over and take it to, you know, Mr. X. He's on the twenty seventh floor." Um, so I get into the, I walk over to this building. Easy enough. Find the building. Hop on the elevator. The elevator only goes to twenty five. I don't remember exactly what floor. But the elevator stops two floors beneath. I'm not sure why that happens, but okay. They built a building. All right, fine. So you get off the elevator and you find some stairs. And I'll walk up two flights of stairs. The world. I'm young. Of course, I now know that that's, you know, it's an elevator with two different elevator banks. I'd never, <laughs> coming from Lawton, I'd never seen one of those. And so literally, so I walk up two flights of stairs, can't get in the door because it's fire stairs. Well, now, okay, oh, I'm not sure what happened, but I'll walk back down and get back on the elevator and go down. Well, you walk back down and you still can't get in the door. Oh. I walked down every flight of stairs. Um, and it was a learning process. And I finally got to like floor four or five. And, it, and the door was open on the fire stairs. And I looked inside and saw a guy I knew who was interning at Cooper's and Library. That's where their office was. I literally walked through their office just to get out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was, it, was, it was an interesting experience, to say the least. So internship, inter, interned at KPMG, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, back to school. I had another year and a half of school to finish, I guess. Um, they invited me back that following spring. At this point, I'm in graduate school. So I was taking either six or nine hours. I forget. And I would come to class two days a week, and I'd drive to Tulsa, stay with, stay with a, young, a, a husband and his wife who were a little younger and were interning as traditional interns um, the three other three days a week and work. And I commuted back and forth, graduated in, uh, when did I graduate? June of 97. Um, thought I was going to, well, finished that internship in May. Thought I was going to stay in Tulsa. Stephanie graduated same time with her undergraduate degree. Um, she got an opportunity with Sears. And, and what at, the, at that point in time was a really great ed executive education program, uh, clearly not so much with Sears anymore, um, but her opportunity was in Dallas. I worked for a big four firm, or at the time we were a big six firm. It was easy. Um, and so they transferred me to Dallas, and lo and behold, I was now in Dallas as a, as a tax guy. It's, it's, and so I was, it was in Dallas, moved to Dallas in June of 97. I stayed in Dallas till... May of 2001, when I had an opportunity to take a secondment to KPMG's international headquarters in Amsterdam. Um, great. It was a great experience. Partner that I had worked for before. I went over with the anticipation of creating a global network of high net worth planners. Because by that point in my career, I had kind of migrated to where I was. Most of what I was doing was high net worth financial planning, transfer tax planning, um, income tax to some degree, uh, financial planning kind of at its core. So now you're combining the accounting, the tax, and back to the finance. 
um, was never really an investment guy, but it's part of what you did. Um, so I went over with that in, with that anticipation while I was there. Um, Arthur Anderson, Enron had collapsed. Arthur Anderson now, it became very clear that the firm wasn't going to survive. And so they, they asked me to take a kind of a rotational piece still in Amsterdam doing global due diligence on Anderson practices that were joining KPMG's tax, tax practice. And so I, as I spent the next, I guess that was July through almost 26 months, almost 26 months um, commuting, or, or commuting, traveling around the world, doing due diligence on Anderson practices, joining KPMG. Um, great experience. The problem for me was I didn't do any tax work. I didn't do anything tax technical. I grew, I grew my business acumen. I grew my understanding of the firm, the understanding of practices. I didn't actually, I, but I lost two and a half years of tax technical. I came back to a firm in Anderson or in KPMG here in Dallas or there in Dallas that had merged with Anderson, KPMG on the door, very much a reverse merger. Uh, and KPMG at this point is now under consideration for indictment for the tax shelters. So we're now in, in kind of summer of 2003 late 2003, and there was a concern that they wouldn't be able to provide individual tax planning and individual financial advice. And so I walked in the door and the partner that I went to work for said, you seem like a nice guy. I've heard great things about you. I owe you a year. And on day 366, I will fire you. Uh, well, but this is my firm. You owe me this year. And he said, I know you do. He, he point blank. He said, I, he said, I've heard good things. I think you're a great guy, but I have more people than I do work. So unless you can sell enough work to feed yourself in the next 12 months, which by the way, you won't be able to do, um, and I wasn't going to be able to do, then you'll be out of a job. And so that was in August of 03. I got a cold call from a recruiter in February of 04. Um, we've got a billion-dollar tax family in North Dallas that needs a tax, or a billion-dollar family that needs a tax guy. And look, at you know, 2004, you felt like you could name the billion-dollar families. You, you, so we kind of go through this list. Okay, it's not the Hunt family. It's not Bass family. Okay, who is it? Uh, we really didn't know. So I go to this first interview with no idea who this family could be. Turns out it was the Jones family. And it's 19th of April, 2004 was when I started with Jerry. Um, it's been a heck of a ride. Yeah. And it's all about, you know, when people ask me, what's the answer? The answer is work hard, be flexible. Answer recruiter's calls. Answer recruiter's <laughs> calls. I, t I tell my own staff today, if, if somebody calls you, you should talk. Now, I'd like you to tell me you're talking mm -hmm. because if you're, if you're unhappy enough that you want to leave, then we need to know why. Mm -hmm. And if you, and if we can't fix it, then you should leave. Life is too short for you to do a job that you don't enjoy. Um, and we, we spend too much time at work for you to be unhappy, you know, eight, 10. I mean, it's nice to say eight hours a day, but let's be honest. None of us spend, more, you know, eight hours a day in the office. It's nine, 10, 12. Uh, and so if you're not happy, let's figure it out. Uh, and, and the other thing that it will do for you is talking to somebody else will show you that the grass isn't necessarily greener over there. It, it'll, it'll answer the unknown questions. The unknown always intrigues you more than the known. So I actually will tell my staff, you get a call from a recruiter, go talk to him. Before you take the job, come talk to me. And throughout that interview process, what was it about that franchise that made you actually want to work for them? Well, you know, I actually said no three times. So oh. I went out, I went out there and the, C, the CFO at the time who... To this day, actually, he works for me now. Uh, but the CFO said, you know, as he explained the job, what I heard was very much a corporate tax job, um, which is not who I was. I was an individual tax guy, passed through, um, not a corporate tax guy. And as, as I listened to him describe it, it didn't appeal to me. So I said, hey, I hear you. 
appreciate it. This doesn't sound like me. And he was hiring for the, their first tax person. This was really to take tax off of him. So there was no precedent for what the job would entail. And we got a call from the recruiter, maybe a week later. Let's go have lunch and talk about it again. So I had lunch with a recruiter. Subsequently, I found out the recruiter was the CFO's brother-in-law. Didn't know that at the time. Um, so I had, lunch with, uh, I had lunch with the recruiter. We talked about it again. And he said, I tell you, you need to go back out. Even if you don't think you want this job, go talk to him. Listen to what he says. Nothing else. You'll get a couple of ca- tickets to a Cowboys game. Tell him what he's looking for. Maybe you'll know somebody. So I went back out, met with the CFO. I was probably there three hours. Um, and by the time we were done talking and I really had a chance to ask a bunch of what would be kind of too granular of questions. But once you get into it, you start to realize, oh, no, this is what I do. You what, this is what you're talking about. And lo and behold, that was probably late February of 04. Um, but now we're in the middle of busy season. And you can't leave an accounting firm. Well, you can, but you're, you're not doing your friends any favors if you pick up and leave. Um, and so I said, well, look, I'll, I'll finish busy season. You guys are going to have to let this sit till I can get here. I'll be here on Monday, the 19th of April. Um, and I had six weeks of mail in my inbox the day I started. <laughs> What's the most common reaction or question you get when people learn that you work for the Jones family and then the Cowboys? Well, there's one of two. One of which is you frequently get, well, what do you do in the offseason? You guys are just off, right? Uh, which, of course, is not the case. Football in and of itself is no longer an on-season, off-season. They only play football games during part of the year. But football itself is a, is a you know, 24-7, 365 gig. But separately, everything else that we do, um, you know, the Jones family is deep in real estate, deep in oil and gas, and we've diversified quite a bit into, into your traditional restaurants, car dealerships, imaging facilities, uh, raw dirt. Uh, obviously, it's very public. Jerry's got a very large yacht. Um, we saw him in the draft a couple of years ago. Uh, we've got a couple of aircraft that people, you know, that you have seen him on at various times. And so managing that process and overseeing that process keeps us engaged. Um, so, so the first question is always, you know, what do you do in the off season? The answer is easy. Everything else. Um, <laughs> the other question is what's Jerry like to work for? And I would tell you, he is spectacular. Uh, Jerry and all three of his children, well, and, inclusive of their spouses. Mrs. Jones is, is probably better than Jerry, to be fair. Um, <laughs> but Gene and Jerry, Stephen and Karen, um, Charlotte, his daughter, and then Jerry Jr. and Lori, they are, they're in the office. They're great to work with. They're, they're just good people, caring. You know, we were working on a, a thing a couple weeks ago, and Jerry called on the Monday morning. I was actually off skiing for a couple of days during spring break with my family. And he called and wanted to talk about something. We were talking for a while, and finally he said, where are you? I said, I'm skiing with my family. And he said, well, why didn't you tell me that 20 minutes ago? There's nothing more important to, you know, to, than family and spending time with your family. And they're just, that's how engaging and that's how personal they are. They're, they're good people that really do care about their employees uh, and obviously love the Cowboys. I, the time we met down there, uh, you said something that struck me. You said, we're really a real estate company that owns a football team. So we are... I think today we're 162 entities. It moves a little day to day, but we're 162 legal entities, football, and probably 95 of those are operating businesses. The rest are structural, uh, liability shields, et cetera. Um, but of the 95, football is going to be 12, maybe 13. Um, oil and gas is about seven. 
Um, real estate is, you know, probably 45. Uh, real estate is, we, I spend at least half my time on the real estate side of our business. Uh, I've got a staff, you know, I'm, we're a staff of 41, inclusive of me. Um, the guy who works, you know, closest with me, Dale Knox, he's my, I'd call him my number two, but most people might say he's number one and I'm just tagging <laughs> along. Um, he is spectacular and he is extremely deep on the football side, uh, which gives me the flexibility then to focus on real estate and the other ventures in the Jones family personally. Um, and then I spend a lot of time obviously managing the, the kind of cash position, liquidity position for the overall organization. So overall, how does the performance of the team during the season overall affect the financial performance of the Dallas Cowboys organization? Well, there's no questions that, that how you play on the field impacts the morale, uh, which impacts a lot of things. But our, the, the business of the Cowboys, one of, our, one of our prongs or one of our, the legs of our stool that no one else has is we have all of our own wholesale merchandise. And so if you go to JCPenney's, if you go to Dick's Sporting Goods, if you, you, know, if you go to Fanatics, and look for a, find a Cowboys branded item. Mm -hmm. It's come from our wholesale division. We're the only team in U.S. sports that has its own wholesale division. Oh, that's cool. Um, and so the operations there too flow, they're directly tied to performance on the field. You're having a good year, you're going to see it. Now there's a lag because wholesale, it takes time to get to the retailers and then make, make it through to the wholesale order. But there's an absolute direct tie. If the team does well, you'll see it for the next 18 months. Mm -hmm. If the team does poorly, you'll see it, you'll see it down for about the next 12. Um, it's extremely cyclical in that regard. Our team's doing a really good job of trying to balance that out. Um, and even in our down years, it's, a, it's better than, based on what we see, it's better than the average for almost every other team in the league. But it's not the up that you see on a year like we had last year. And then when you play a year, if you're going to go, and it's easier to talk about in the old 16-game schedule because they're nice and even, um, but if you're going to play a season and go 6-2 and two, and then 2-6, and six, that's a much different financial answer mm -hmm. than 1-1, one 1-1, and 1-1, one, one and one, one and one, et cetera, um, because you get that momentum going, which creates excitement, which creates buying. Um, and so, so you absolutely see that change on the merchandise side um, but you also see it ticket sales, food and beverage sales. The other, the other place you see it is food and beverage sales. If the team wins, you're absolutely going to sell more food and beverage, primarily beer. You're going you're to sell more beer after the game if the team has played well. Uh, if the team has played poorly and we've lost, people are more inclined to go home. Well, they're not drawing on their sorrows in their beer at no. the stadium. They're Correct. doing it with they go, a, they go home and drink cheap like, beer. Okay. <laughs> so now – uh, Jerry Senior is he still involved? Very. Uh, okay. So, in fact, we were we were kind enough to get a tour of the of the university campus before we came on this podcast. And and as we were as we were driving around, the young man was driving. He said, "You have to pull over for me. I've just gotten a call from Jerry Senior. Sent him a note and said, "Hey, can I call you back?" And the response I got was, "No, I actually need to talk now." Um, and no, I have I probably talked to Jerry twice a day, at least once a day. Um, no, he is intimately involved in all aspects of our business. Um, yes, his children are, are very engaged and he's not micromanaging, but he wants that. We, we have a daily, just kind of a recap of what's happened. Um, and if you want to dig into sponsorships, if you want to dig into what were the per caps at the stadium, um, he's, he's loves to talk numbers. Uh, and if you tell him a number, he will remember it for the next 300 years. So don't, <laughs> so either don't get it wrong or be, be prepared to reconcile why it changed. <laughs> Oh, that's great. You mentioned that the family is in the office and everything too. What do who what are his kids do? 
So Stephen Jones, by title, and I'm going to get these wrong, and if, I, if anybody, any of them are listening, I'll probably get smacked around for this one. Stephen <laughs> is our COO by title. Stephen's directly involved in player development. Um, so he's now separately, he spends a lot of time on the real estate side, but a lot of times with his dad on the oil and gas. But if you talk just football, Stephen's involved with player development, kind of on-field on performance. Charlotte oversees the brand, and everything we do as an organization inside of the team, but also even in all of our investing and all of our philanthropic efforts, all of that ties back to connecting to the Cowboys, connecting to that brand. And so Charlotte manages the brand. She does also oversee the cheerleaders. Uh, Jerry, Jerry Jr. oversees all of our merchandise, both wholesale and retail, as well as our corporate partnership sales. So they are, they are, they literally are in, in the office, Jerry Sr., Stephen, Charlotte, Jerry Jr., in birth order. Um, and they are, they are actively involved and actively in the office all the time. The whole family right there. It's, it's, it is a family. We, we are a family business that just happens to play football on Sundays. So what's, what's been the biggest highlight and challenge you've encountered in the 18 years, almost 19 years you worked there? Challenge is the extreme fluidity of what we do. Um, it's the, you know, hey, we were almost out of the oil and gas business in 2014. Um, not all the way, but close. And Jerry called late in December and said, hey, I think I'm going to do something that kind of grew into a little bit something else. We now own 62% of our 63% of Comstock resources. It's a publicly traded oil and gas company. Uh, and as of earlier this afternoon, when Jerry called, we may be earning, <laughs> we may be doing some more with them. Um, and, so, and so it's just that when you work for a family business, in some respects, you deal with the whims and desires of a family. And I don't want to say whims because I don't want to imply that it's very whimsical, but it is things change based on the demand of a family. Um, and Jerry Sr. has changed in my 18 years just because as you, as you age, your priorities change. Um, and so, and what you're focused on changed. Now he hadn't, he hasn't failed to focus on how to make money. He's still really, <laughs> really good at that. Um, but it, it's, so the challenge is that it's that flexibility. That also is the greatest reward for me by far. And what I love is that every day is different. Every day I'm going to get to do something. In the morning I might be talking about a hunting lease. Uh, at noon I might be dealing with the laws in the Cayman Islands regarding the boat. Um, in the afternoon it's traditional income tax. And then at the end of the day you're doing with real estate financing, a real estate sale. Um, it, it keeps you engaged. It will never get boring. When I left MAPCO, the in first internship I referenced earlier, my biggest concern was that those people worked hard eight days a month because they were closing and they were getting them cleaned up and they were spotless books and they were really smart people. The other 20 days, 22 days, not sure they worked as hard as I was willing to work <laughs> at that point in time. We don't lack for that in the Cowboys organization. There's always something. Now, since college, did you know, did you, know you wanted to get to that C-suite level? No. Um, look, I was, as I said, I was the second person in my family to go to college. So the first thought was simply, we got to graduate. Um, and then it became what's next. Uh, when we came out of school, my wife and I actually, she made more money working for Sears than I made working for KPMG. KPMG transferred me to Dallas and said, the cost of living is the same from Tulsa to, to Dallas. And I thought, look for apartments. And I don't think so. I mean, I don't mean to say anything. I'm not arguing with your data, but I'm not finding an apartment as cheap as what I was living in Stillwater working in Tulsa. We must be looking at different websites. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not back then. We weren't no, looking at websites. Right. You physically got Newspapers. your cars. Yeah. Oh, oh. Got it. You, you've just shown your age versus mine. <laughs> um, and so it was, it, yeah, it was, I, I wanted to achieve. 
Um, I wanted to be, and I was, I was blessed to work for a very small group. Um, within six months of being in Dallas, I got transferred over to work for the financial planning group. And we were, I think, five people at the time, uh, which made it very personal. And they really, you know, that gave me the opportunities to, to succeed and a chance to excel in my career. Um, and at some point, it's less about being in the C-suite as it is about winning the game. Um, and whatever that game happens to be. And for each of us, it's different. You know, and I, I tell kids now, if, if, if the game for you is quality of life, then win the game. Find the balance. So, you know, make enough to obtain the quality of life that you want and give yourself the balance. If the game for you, on the other hand, is being in the C-suite, then win the game. Whatever the game is, decide which game you're playing and go win that game. Uh, and somewhere along the line, for me, the game became... I want what I want. What's next? I guess I guess by definition you have to say that puts you in the C-suite, but that wasn't ever my goal. It was just I want to do what's next, whatever's next. So when when you're hiring someone, what qualities do you look for and people add to your team? You know, I start. I absolutely start with looking for people who have public accounting background, um, and I obviously work in industry, so I recognize that you can have spectacular employees who don't have a public accounting background. And we have a ton of them on my own staff. Um, and I know a number of folks who don't have a public accounting background. But what you get in public accounting is you get that flexibility. You get that today you're doing this, tomorrow you're doing that, more so in tax perhaps than audit. Um, but you, you, get that, you get that competitive desire because at the end of the day, that's a churn and burn business. They are, they, it's, it's better now than it was when I grew up. When I grew up, they'd tell you coming in, you're going to be here three years. Look, you know, look to your right, look to your left. Three, two of the three of you are going to be gone, and it's possible that all three of you will be gone. And, and I'm not saying that's the way the world should be, but it teaches a mentality and a mindset of you've got to work hard, you've got to be flexible, you've got to be adaptable. So I start with that. Just show me the background, and, and, and that tells me something. It tells you everything because there are tons of people who come out of public accounting who don't have that, and just as many people who come out of industry that do have that. But without knowing anything else, if all I'm seeing is a piece of paper, that's where I start. Um, the next piece then becomes just that it's that flexibility. You know, we, we talk about if you work in my football division, which is call it 10 of my 40 um, in the finance side, you're you are, you know, the way I describe it is you are an inch wide and a mile deep because that vertical is pretty well defined. Um, it's very detailed. It's a lot of volume. It's very big numbers. But at the end of the day, you stay in a pretty tight little space. Um, if you work in my real estate division, you actually go just the opposite. You're now going to be an inch deep and a mile wide because it might be industrial. It might be commercial. It might be retail. It might be office. It might be raw land. Um, we're buying. We're selling. We're constructing. And so it's that flexibility that I try to look for to get a feel, depending on the job. You know, There are some that I can comfortably say, okay, if you are really good at repetitive traditional monthly closing type task, we've got a role for you. But that's not, you know, that, that's one set of roles. That's not another set of roles. And so it's really trying to understand what you, the employee, want to do. Because what I don't want to do is hire you today and have to replace you in six months, eight months, a year. Um, you know, I really do say it's, you know, it's 12 months, 18 months before you really get your feet under you and you're really creating significant value for the organization. The last thing I want to do is have is you know have to do that again six months after that. Um, you know I'm I'm at 18 years with Jerry on my staff of 41. I believe I'm ninth or tenth in seniority. 
in terms of tenure with the organization. I guess in terms of tenure with the organization, uh, it's a company that people come and stay. Uh, and that's my payroll director is our longest tenured employee. Um, this is the first job she got out of high school. It's the only job she's had in her life. And she is spectacular. She's great at what she does. Um, and, and that's, she's now, she, we just had her 25th, her 25th anniversary celebration. Uh, it's just, that's who she is. Uh, and so I, I want that stickiness. I want somebody, but I also don't want someone who's in love with the Cowboys. I don't need, I, I don't need, <laughs> that's I, don't interesting. Need you, I don't need you there just because you want to meet Dak. I don't need you there just because you want to see, I want to get to know Jerry. I don't need you there just because you want to be at a game on Sunday. Yes, I'd love you to like all of those things. It's a great but perk. That's, it's a spectacular perk. But if that's your only reason, mm-hmm. that's this is not the right spot for you. Well, Tom, I, we've really enjoyed chatting with you. Appreciate your fun. time. Uh, you did great and, on your first podcast. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thanks for having me. This is easy. And no one hit you up for tickets while we were here, so that's perfect. That's the win. Schedule's not out yet. That's right. <laughs> Off air. We'll be doing that later. But... Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time on the Buzz on Business.